Hello and welcome to the Sweeter Than Honey podcast. I'm Brendan, I'm here with my brother Josh and sister-in-law Tori, and today we are going to be going through Genesis 15 and talking about God establishing his covenant with Abram. Last time, Abram just went and got himself caught up in the middle of a battle between nine different kings because... A group of them revolted, and it ended up in the land getting absolutely ravaged, um, all because Lot ended up getting taken in this whole uh, debacle. Well, that's not why the land got ravaged. No, that's, that's why, why Abram, Abram got, got caught up in it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, my, my train of thought made sense in <laughs> yeah, my brain, the but Feral I didn't Crescent lay it out got the wrecked most because Lot got captured. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I didn't lay it out as clearly well, as I and, intended. Well, yeah, so. Um, these five kings rebelled against this one super king, basically. Mm-hmm. So he gets his buddies and decides to just make everybody else's lives miserable mm-hmm. before even attacking the five kings. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a set an example thing. Here's what's going to happen to you when I finally get to you. Look at how I treated all of these people. Mm-hmm. It's going to be that much worse mm-hmm. because you guys decided to stop paying tribute. For and it was because they got caught up in tar pits on the way back. Yep. And uh, then... Abram comes in with his 300 men uh, and the people on whose land he's living. Mm-hmm. and uh, Yeah, these Canaanites. And then they completely wipe out this king's army, like all four of the king's armies, I suppose, mm-hmm. and rescue Lot. And then, then we meet a mysterious 10th king. Yeah, this random king who just shows up out of nowhere. We've been given no introduction for him. It's just, oh, and Melchizedek, who was king of Salem... Priest of God Most High. Okay, cool. What yeah. what is happening right now? <laughs> and he blesses Abram, <laughs> and we say, "Oh, we know that those who bless Abram will be blessed." That's pretty cool. But then Abram gives back to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gives him a tenth of all which, his possessions, which sets a precedent for what would become the tithe, which is the ten percent, which goes specifically to the priesthood in Israel. Yeah, and now we know that at least for the most part, Abram is above reproach because he denies. Um, taking any spoils of war from the king of Sodom mm-hmm. so that he's not indebted to him. Yeah, who we know is a wicked king who rules a city which is... Yeah, because this is before Sodom was destroyed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the scripture says that this is before it was destroyed, so we know it's going to go down, um, and that the people were wicked exceedingly before God. Yeah. We also um, went into the names of the kings, and there are a lot of either um, names which uh, include foreign gods or are just violent names. Yeah, basically. so maybe maybe not their original names. Maybe they got titles when they became kings um, or gave themselves names, mm-hmm. or these are um, uh, kind of dysphemistic names given to them by... The victors in history. <laughs> yeah, as a polemic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, regardless, Abram's doing really good right now. Um, there was a a test set up at the end of chapter 13 um, because he was back in the Eden place, which is usually followed by a test, and he seemed to pass this, this most recent test. And now he's going to find himself back in the Eden place again. Yep. And that's where we pick things up, I guess. Okay, Genesis 15 from the New American Standard Bible, 1995 edition. 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, and a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I will give this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and Kadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. A very strange chapter. Nah, it's good. Well, it is good. That doesn't mean that it's not <laughs> yeah, strange. There's no bearing on how strange it is. <laughs> yeah, this is not a normal occurrence. Sure. So obviously this phrase, after these things, it's just sometime later. Like It's just saying like, oh yeah, however long after the fact this happened, this happened after his whole encounter with the kings and with Melchizedek. Yeah, that was the last significant event. This yeah. is the next significant event. Yeah, we have event. no idea how far into the future this is. Yeah. We don't yeah. know how long Lot has been living in Sodom at this point. Yeah. Likely Abram's just been doing life in the land of Canaan. Um around uh Mamre as he had been before. Yeah. And uh, has has he been promised a son yet? I can't remember. Or is this he, like the first God time? first told him that he would have um that he would have descendants as many as the dust, but he hasn't told him you specifically will have a son through Sarah. Okay. Uh there it is. To your descendants I'll give this land. That's back in chapter twelve. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. But yeah, we we have not um, up to this point, been given the specific, you will have a son. Yeah. So the word of the Lord is also a pretty frequent phrase that we'll see. Um, and uh, we're going to see that pattern happen a lot with the prophets, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, I think, I can't remember, it might be in Hebrews, but it's in one of the epistles, Abraham is actually directly called a prophet of God Mm, mm -hmm. um, because he receives a word from him and is supposed to relay that to people as well. Yeah. Um, But he's called for a specific task by Yahweh. Yeah. Um, Well, in, in, in in this particular instance, the, the idea of the word of the Lord coming to Abram, 
Um, you know, we, we, we would think of that because it states that it happens in a vision. And it's like, oh, he just somehow received this word. Sure. But, but the image is actually of God appearing to him to deliver the message. Yeah, and so exactly. it, it, it's an associated idea with the angel of Yahweh, which is, um, you know, God looking like a man. Yeah, there's the obviously earth. some some like uh, similarities. Yeah, between this these this bears that same kind of image where where God appeared seemingly bodily to Abram to have this conversation. Yeah, him. yeah, it's not some disembodied voice necessarily. Exactly. While that can happen. Yeah. Right. Um. This since it's in a vision, it seems that there is a much more hands-on interaction, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, and that idea will get fleshed out with the idea of the angel yeah. later. But So um, that word vision, um, machaze, mm-hmm. which word of origin is chaza, which is to see or behold. So chaza. he came to him in, in a seeing form, mm-hmm. right? Like Abram is seeing something, whether that is the Lord directly or whatever this promise that he's giving is. Mm-hmm. He has a visual, whether in the, in the body or out of the body, like Paul says. Yeah, exactly. He has some sort of visual interaction yeah, with yeah. God. Yeah, the implication seems to be that he is seeing God um, take on some recognizable form so mm-hmm. that they can have this interaction and God can relate to him, here's my plan for you. Yeah. And, and so in order to cement that, here's what we're going to do about it. Yeah, and we'll see a fulfillment of that a little bit later because Abram seems to recognize God in a more human form later on, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's in a couple chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, and also the word came is um, the word uh, haya, which is the same word that was used repeatedly throughout uh, Genesis one to refer to um, what things becoming. Um, yeah, so it yeah. can be used that way in this particular instance. It, it's not that it's not God becoming because God doesn't become. It it, it can mean just arrived. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it can be come about. It can be become. It can be simply be. Yeah, in a broken English, it could be like God became on his way to Abram, right? Where sure. it's like he he. Uh, you know, it, 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 whatever. It, it, it's not that that God is just transitioning a form or, um, you know, materializing before Him. Right. 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 Uh, so he, it, the idea is just that, as far as Abram's concerned, God just ended up showing there. Yeah. For him. Yeah. So, and it's interesting that his first word here is "Do not fear." Abram, mm-hmm. like, okay, he didn't seem to be afraid after the whole Egypt incident. What happened? Like, he very boldly went and reclaimed his relative, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Well, we'll see with appearances of divine messengers, again, associated with the angel of the Lord idea, their their introduction is usually, don't be afraid. Yeah. And, and that seems to be because them showing up is not normal. Yeah, That's we not just a haven't seen occurrence. that yet, right? Yeah. Like this is the first time that that preface is given. Exactly, That's the right word this time. Oh uh, yes. <laughs> um, and so and so, it's interesting because the last person that we seem to have any evidence of God, uh, kind of appearing to is Enoch. Right, 
we don't really get anything of him appearing to Noah. Right. It's just this interaction, however that happened, it's possible. Mm-hmm. But um, either way, there hasn't been, it seems, a direct interaction with God for at least several hundred years. Um, yeah. Well, just, we, just from the text, exactly, at least. Because we have God speaking to Abram prior to this. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean have... showing up. Exactly. That, that's what I meant. Yeah. Sorry. I, yeah. No, Sorry. I'm, 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 I'm just trying to clarify Thank what you. you're saying. Thank you. Because, um, yeah, he, he, he speaks to Noah... He spoke to Abram, saying, hey, get out of your land, come exactly. see me, and hey, I, I, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous, but this yeah. is the first time he's actually, yeah, coming and being present. So this is like opening the door to a new chapter, which is, you know, this is going to initiate the actual covenant, right? Yeah. The legal agreement between them, the, that solidifying of the relationship. Um, it, God and Abram are quote-unquote, taking the next step and building their relationship in that more full way, right here. Yeah. On God's initiative. Abram didn't do anything. Right, right. Right. That, yeah, the, that's, that's very clear throughout this entire chapter. Yeah, yeah. We, we, see, we see Abram faithfully, um, you know, coming to these, these mountaintop places with trees and um, building altars at them. Mm. But... That there is no guarantee that when he does that, God is going to show up and be yeah, like, he didn't convince hey, him to come it's, down. Yeah, exactly. This is this is God saying, "Hey, I have chosen you to be my guy, and because I've chosen you to be my guy, I'm going to do something about it." Yeah. So he says, "Don't be afraid. I am a shield to you." The word uh, "magen" is just shield. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word of origin is "ganan," which is a covering to surround or defend. So a shield is a pretty good word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if Ganon is in any way related to loot, which is the uh, root of Lot's name, mm. which also means a covering. Yeah, maybe they're synonyms. Um, but it's interesting that that Yahweh uses a military identification Mm-hmm. Right after a campaign, yeah, yeah. So it's like he's well. We don't know how long this is after this after the fact, but in terms of narrative progression, um, God is relating to Abram's recent experiences and saying like, "Hey, yeah, I'm going to protect you." Yeah. Well, and that's also something that we'll we'll see later again. With th- this is going to keep tying into Angel of the Lord stuff. The Angel of the Lord is going to show up to Joshua as a warrior. Um, but also the idea of God as a warrior more broadly, as a warrior king, is something that's going to become a very, um, a very consistent theme. Yeah, um, and, and people, especially with the Exodus forward. Yeah, and people find that to be a very uncomfortable concept of God as a warrior, mm-hmm. um, because they think that He's declaring war on humans. Generally speaking, when in reality it's actually humans that declared war on him, but but God's primary action is in the spirit world. Exactly. If if war is made on humans, it's not God just striking people down like a lot of New Age Christians think of the Old Testament God, right? This idea of him being a warrior that we see initiated right here in the biblical story is showing that he's actually fighting for his people. Yeah. He's not trying to fight 
against people. Right. It's that people rebelled against him. Yeah, let's say the, the people who are struck down are those who have chosen to partner with rebellious spirits. Exactly. So that's just part of the campaign. Yeah. Right? You know, it, 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 they made their choice. Yeah, yeah. When, when you're playing chess, the pawns get taken out. And that's how it goes. And, and the, these people who get struck down have chosen to become pawns of wicked spiritual forces. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not see the, themselves as doing so in the moment, but that's what they end up be, being as a result of their own choices. Yeah. So, and then in verse 2, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Yeah, God just said, you're going to have a reward. And he's like, "Uh, like what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's like, okay. And it's interesting here. So um, in the NASB, God has all capitals because uh, the phrase that Abram uses is Adonai Yahweh. Mm -hmm. But it would look kind of weird if it said, O Lord, Lord. Right. So they actually, for the English... um, made it a little bit easier to read by saying, oh, Lord God. But mm-hmm. it's actually, it's not Yahweh Elohim. It's Adonai Yahweh. Mm-hmm. So um, that term there, he's calling him his master and referring to him by his covenant name. So mm-hmm. that was apparently revealed to him before, which we had already talked about a little bit. But mm-hmm. like this is just more solidifying of, yeah, Abram knows God. Right, right. So uh, he still doesn't have an heir. And and it's not that he's specifically asking to have an heir. He's like, hey, I know that you said that my household will live on. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have a reward, but, but, yeah, yeah, but what's, how? What's my reward supposed to be since Eliezer is supposed to take over for me? Exactly. Right, yeah. this, this is my lead servant. He's the guy that takes care of everything for me. Mm-hmm. Right, I trust him. Yeah. But obviously, I trust him enough to, you know, assume he's going to inherit everything. Yeah, and this is just some random Syrian dude. Yeah. Um. He's listed as being from from Damascus, which is a city in uh, Aram. Yeah, we don't know when Abram picked up this guy, if he was a servant that was hired um, it back in Ur of the Chaldeans, or if right. it was on his way to Canaan, or if he even was in Canaan at the time. We, we have no idea. Exactly. He's just there. Yeah. And so Abram's like, yeah, this random dude who's not of my line. But he's not an Egyptian either, so we right. assume that he didn't get him during the whole fiasco in Egypt. Right, right. It seems like he's been with him a long time. Yes. So, and Abram said, since you have given me no, given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. So he's acknowledging like, hey, you know, something's got to happen. But I also recognize that for whatever reason, you have not granted me that which humanity is supposed to achieve, reproduce, mm-hmm. right? So it, that doesn't seem right, but just adding to this confusion of, okay, so now it's so like, I don't see what my reward is supposed to be. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, if I get a reward now, it's not going to be worth anything in the long run because I'm getting older and I don't have anybody to carry on my legacy. Yeah. And then we get another weird phrase. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. So... Did time pass between the first showing up and the second showing up? Right. I don't know, but this is just the, the next major event in the sequence is that the word came back to him yeah. or something. Well, you, you can almost imagine the idea that God God shows up in this bodily form of some sort and is like, 
I have plans for you. I'm your shield. Don't don't be afraid of what's going to happen. Yeah. And then turns to leave and is starting to walk away. And Abram's like, oh, hold up. How? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and so then God turns back around and is like, okay, well, let, let's let's talk about that. Yeah. So I so and it's not like God is leaving because he doesn't know that Abram's gonna talk to him. Right. It's an invitation um, to continue to engage. Yeah. And even if he didn't turn. It's like he's just talking with Abram. Since Abram is engaging, Yahweh comes closer to continue this conversation. Yeah, It's still that invitation to, hey, I want to make sure that you want to talk to me because I'm going to use you, but I can't do that until you're willing. Yeah, the picture I get is is similar to that of Jesus on the road to Emmaus where he's talking with these two guys. They don't recognize him. Mm -hmm. And he's laying all of this stuff in the scriptures out. And then he acts like he's just going to keep on going. And they're like, no, 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 stay for dinner. Um, and yeah, because so, he's so just on his journey. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Where where he's like, you know, it's up if, to humans. If you to guys don't want to keep talking with me, I can just keep walking. Yeah, we have but, to make the choice to continue. Exactly. You yeah. know, partnering with God. Yeah, yeah. There's an so, invitation to be like, hey, no, no, stay. Let's let's get deeper. Yeah. So Abram, Abram obviously obviously trusts him. He just mm-hmm. doesn't. He just doesn't. He wants to know the full picture. He's yeah. like, what is the purpose of all of this? Because I've done what you've asked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I messed up, but like you're obviously still here. I still want to do this. Mm-hmm. Right, he understands the significance of this event, whether he is aware of the prophecy of the seed of the woman or not. Yeah. Right, because we don't really get a glimpse of how much this family understood of the previous world um, until the time of Moses. Right. Right, everything between Abram and Moses, we're not sure what kind of historical understanding this family really has. Yeah, yeah. Um. Maybe like except beyond a potential written record of the family. That's basically it. Right. 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 So um, he took him outside. That is, God took Abram outside. Right. So that th- that reinforces this idea of God shows up and is directly interacting with Abram on almost like an earthly level. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Where it's like it's almost like your friends like, hey, come check this out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, God, God starts talking to you him in his mind and just like, come outside real quick. And he, we were already like, I can hear you in my head. It's not like I need to go anywhere. Yeah. Like, no, no, God, God is inviting him to, to come with him to hang out. Yeah. So he can show him something. So now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. So now he's, he's, he's asking for Abram's cooperation right here, right? Mm-hmm. And he's saying, okay. You need to listen to what I'm saying mm-hmm. and and work with me here, right? Like you've been doing. Yeah. Let's let's keep that going. So now look at the stuff that's up there, the stuff that humans can't even reach, even yeah. though they've tried. Yeah. All all of the the points of light that are hanging out in the waters above. Yeah. All those things that your people think are like all powerful or magical or can tell you certain things. We're not worried about that right now. Right now, they're just the things that are swimming up there. Yeah. There's a lot of them, obviously. Just count them. Right. Right? We, he, he's not He's not trying to make a, a huge deal about what these things are or, you know, in the ancient perception, who they are. Right. That doesn't matter. All, all that matters is that they're there and there's a lot of them. Yeah. When, when I, I think, you know, there, there there may be something to the idea of what they are that shouldn't be discounted. It's obviously not the emphasis because the emphasis here, he says, hey, count them if you can. Yeah, the numerical So shall value. your descendants be. 
And so, yeah, the, the numerical aspect is the emphasis. But um, we're, we're going to see Paul seemingly dig deeper into the so shall your descendants be part as it extends beyond simply the numerical aspect of it mm-hmm. and extends to the substantial aspect of it, where mm-hmm. what substance these are made of is going to be how we will look later. Um, yep, yep. So I'll just dangle that out there as something. Yeah, yeah, cause yeah. Because that, that's obviously something that that was. Um, uh, oh, what what am I what am I trying to say? Clarified. Yeah. Through the Spirit, right? Yeah. Here for Abram, it the the emphasis is obviously on okay, let, let's count them. But then yeah. Paul has an understanding, probably both from his Jewish uh, um, learnings, mm-hmm. right, in the rabbinic tradition. And then also, more importantly, through revelation by the Spirit, that, hey, there's multiple layers to this, just exactly. like everything that God does. Right. So here, um, God is talking to Abram about the number. Exactly. But there's also this, this like, bookmark where it's like, there's more here. Yeah. That's just for... That's a surprise tool that'll help us later. Sure. And and, and another aspect to it that, that I'm seeing that may be there, may not be, the idea of the the divine offspring of the most high like we 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 are the um we we are the direct imagers mm-hmm. and so we we get to be a unique kind of offspring of the most high in that sense obviously we aren't the result of his procreation no, we are but the, the sons um, of god are are a different class of creation yeah that that also serve as imagers in a sense and yep. act as a sort of offspring. And yep. so God is saying, the offspring I'm going to give to you are even more numerous than my own offspring in that realm. Yep, because as we've talked about back in the creation story, the stars are the physical reflection of spirits in that dimension. Exactly. Right? Yes. Clark crossing that mirror boundary. Right. Right. So even though the stars themselves aren't spirits, they are the representation and the physical um I don't want to say embodiment, but like, you know, right. They're, 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 they're very the physical, physical representation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, there, there's obviously all these hyperlinks like we've talked about mm-hmm. that are happening here. But for Abram, it, it, his purpose right now is to just see that he's going to have descendants. That's the primary, that's not the only thing happening, but that's right. the most important thing that's, that God is trying to get across to him right now. Exactly. And he seems to take it. He just doesn't quite get it. Right. Right? Because um, he says, then he believed in, in Yahweh, and then Yahweh reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. Mm-hmm. So Abram's faith qualified him. Right. That's right. that's it. Yep. Right? Because he's obviously done things like build altars. He's also done things like give his wife away, right, and take a lot with him. He's done both sides of things. But what what really solidifies his righteousness is just his belief, his faith yeah, exactly. in Yahweh. Because all Yahweh had to do was tell him, and Abram was like, okay, that must be how it is. So Abram's doing a better job than Adam is in, in this moment, mm-hmm. right? Because he's taking God's word on what is good and true as that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and something that's interesting, when you, when you get into the idea of faith, this thing that that Abram is displaying, that is an an expressed recognition of 
prior faithfulness. So because yeah. up to this point, Yahweh has been faithful to Abram, he's like, okay, you we've built up kind of a rapport. Yeah, you've yeah. demonstrated that this is something that you can make good on because you've continued to make good on everything else up to this point. Yeah, you haven't made five promises and only fulfilled two. Uh, yeah, exactly. As such, I'm going to trust you and trust that even though I don't get what's going on here, you do, and what you're saying is true. Yeah, and, you, and so the so the idea of of Abram's faith, he's not just taking it on nothing. Um, faith, faith is not blind trust. Yeah. It is it is a a a trustful expression, which is the outworking of repeated demonstrations of trustworthiness. Yeah, and just based on Abram's story so far, you have to you have to recognize like after Babel, God basically had to build up a relationship with humanity from zero right. again. Right. Right. Because it seems that Abram at least has some understanding of God when they first interact. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe he's not the God that Abram thinks he is. Whatever. But he has to start from zero and be like, okay, we have to build this relationship back up because we've lost that connection since everything that happened after Noah. Yeah. God God, God disinherited he he said, "You guys no longer have the rights to be my children in this household anymore." Mm-hmm. All of the people who rebelled at the tower, except for this one family, God was like, "I'm still going to remain faithful to that family yeah. because I promised all the way back that I would have somebody show up." And we don't even know that they were reciprocating that choice. Right. It's just that God, uh, you know claimed this family as his own. No other spirit can be in charge of them. But that doesn't mean that they that they uh, had that d- direct understanding or even passed that understanding on to their descendants for a while. Right. Well, and, and the, the thing about that is these people who God has chosen still have the right to give themselves over to other spirits. Yeah. The, those spirits just don't have claim to them immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, I didn't mean that there was like this barrier that somehow they can never come under the uh, influence of. Yeah. But this idea that, yeah, no no spirit can claim authority over these people just saying, yeah, no, they're mine now. Right, right. That's yeah, not how that works. They can't do it outright. It has to be started from the physical world where these people say, yeah, I want this spirit. Right. I'm going to go choose this spirit. Right. Or spirits. Mm. Right. And that's going to happen later. Yes. A lot. Yes. Um, I mean, Which is why I wanted to raise yeah. that distinction. Yeah, like the language in the prophets that Israel hoard after other spirits. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's supposed to be that shocking. Yes. Because God specifically chose them. Yes. And very sad, too. Mm-hmm. Their spiritual infidelity is what destroyed the entire nation. Yes. So going back to verse 7, And Yahweh said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So we know that. Abram knows that. Mm-hmm. It's just continuing to build that relationship, that trust. Like, you know, I brought you over here. This land will be yours. Yeah, yeah. You exactly. don't own property yet. That's okay, right? Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's that reinforcing of the idea of faith as a result of faithfulness. Yeah. And God's so, like, here, let me just remind you. Yeah. I have been faithful. Don't forget that. Yeah. So then Abram asks a fair question from his perspective. He says, 
O Lord God, Adonai Yahweh, how may I know that I will possess it? Right? So he's not saying, are you sure you're going to give it to me? He's like, okay, I believe you. What, what's the sign that this will come to fruition? Mm-hmm. Right? This isn't doubt. This is a legitimate and, you know, it's a reasonable request. Mm-hmm. Right? This isn't like the teachers asking Jesus for a sign. Right, right. Yeah. Abram already believes Yahweh. We've already established that his faith has counted him as righteous in God's eyes. Mm-hmm. So this isn't an unreasonable request. Right. So Yahweh said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. We don't get that yet. We, we don't really have any way to tie these animals and what's going to happen to them anything until a couple of books later. Yeah, exactly. This is this is something that would have been familiar in their cultural paradigm, but for yeah. us it's like what the heck is up with these animals? Yeah, this is this is a classic covenant act, but usually it happens between two people. We don't know what kind of covenant acts would happen between a person and a spirit in this culture. Right. Something similar to this, but it probably would have also involved more cutting on their own body. Exactly. Um because Spirits are thirsty for blood, even even though it's not theirs to take. Right. Um, and we know that blood has importance because of previous uh, stories in Genesis. Yes. Right. But God is just asking him, "Hey, like, you you have you have plenty of possessions." He's not. He's not even. He's not even asking for much. Right. Materially. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I right. just need these four animals. Yeah. Out of everything you've got, or so, sorry, five animals. Yeah. So Abram apparently automatically knows what this imagery is because he brought these to him and cut them in two without any prompting to cut them, yeah. right? He, he just understands it. Yeah. So Abram laid each half opposite the other, so there's a gap between the two halves of each of these animals, but he didn't cut the birds because they're they're small, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. That's just part of it. And so the idea is now there's this um, essentially a yeah, sea of blood between them where where they were split open. Yep. And that's that's for the spiritual significance of what blood represents, there is a river of life spilled out between, uh, you know, these two sections of land, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is that Abram and God are supposed to walk through this river of life together to enter covenant. Mm-hmm. And we, we've talked about this before, um, Tori, with the idea of covenant, that if you enter covenant with somebody, you are to give your life before you let harm come to them, mm-hmm. right? So that's that's what this is all building to here. Yeah, these these animals are acting as a as a representation of that idea. Yeah. So Abram's waiting for for God, so, and like God's still with him, right? It, it did, he didn't go away, but um, the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. He's like, no, no, this is a sacred spot. Yes, I can't let beasts ruin this relationship. Yeah, well, especially because bir- birds of prey are going to be considered the not good birds. <laughs> yeah, these are these are the ones that that symbolize and literally reek of death. Mm-hmm. These are the death birds, like yeah. vultures. Um they're the creatures that are like at the lowest pole of of birds. Yeah. Because they only interact with dead things. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so, the, the word there um, is ahit, which just means birds of prey 
broadly. It doesn't refer to specific ones, but the understanding is, yeah, the the birds who like to eat the dead things. Yeah, for Abram, this is like if a Victorian-era superstitious person saw a raven right after having some sort of, you know, crazy event happen to them, and they're like, I'm going to die. Right. Like, right. this is this is a very, generally speaking, this is like a, a bad omen that right. there are birds of prey coming down. Yeah. So Abram is, like, trying to get rid of them. He's like, no, no, this is between me and God. Yeah. You don't get to do anything here. Yeah, they, they would almost act as, like, a polluting factor. Yeah. Which, we, again, we'll, we'll get into that kind of thing later. But. Yeah, we don't quite understand the full significance of what is happening here yet. We just know that Abram does. Mm-hmm. So now when the sun, they still haven't gone through together. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Mm-hmm. So so Abram is being put to sleep the same way that the man was in the garden when when God took the man's side to build a um, a helper opposite him. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. It's that same it's word, the same word from yeah. Genesis two. Yeah, it is once again uh, tar dema that that Abram falls into here. Yep, and um, he has ema terror or dread, like forcibly thrust upon him, mm-hmm. right? And and it doesn't seem like that's God's doing. This seems to be something else. We yeah, don't there's... we don't even know. We are, we aren't given a, a direct explanation for this. Yeah, but somehow. Some some dark emotional yeah. push is just forced on him. Yeah. Well, well, the he he's he's fearful, and and the next word is just the word for darkness, like mm-hmm. like actual no light. Um, yeah, it's different than than what was ha- um, in Genesis one in the separating of light and darkness. Yeah, this is exactly. like an embodied darkness. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, kashe ka. Um, from kashak, which is uh, to be or grow dark. Sorry, kashak. Yeah, um, and and this kashak, kashaka, mm-hmm. is gadol. It's great. Like the, yeah, so it, it's, it's, it's obviously something. Darkness. Yeah, it's obviously something that's more significant mm-hmm. in its darkness. Yeah, it seems like there there may be something trying to lay hold of him in this moment. Yeah. So first, there's a physical attempt to pollute this ceremony, and then it seems that there is a metaphysical, which we would understand actually as a spiritual attack mm-hmm. on this ceremony. Mm-hmm. Something or someone does not want this union, this promise between God and Abram to happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're, they're attacking Abram because he is the vulnerable one. Mm-hmm. So, But uh, God said to Abram, in the midst of this, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. So that seems to come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It's possible that there was an impression on Abram from whatever this spiritual darkness is that, oh, your family's going to get terrorized. Your family's going to be enslaved. And so, uh, it's possible that here God is saying, like, yes, that is true. Like, he's, he's saying, like, yep, what what you perceived from whatever this darkness is, and, and this is a little bit of speculation. We don't actually have a direct, we don't know why God said this to him right here. Right. Um, right well, after the darkness. Well, and it's interesting that it's being interpreted as God being the one to say it to him. Exactly. Um, because the, there is no indication 
that God said it in the in the Hebrew. No, it's just in he said. Yeah. But it's, since so it's, it's been it's, like, there's only two people in this story so far that we've seen. Yeah. So it's interpreted that way. Yeah, except the thing is, so firstly, we're not told that God put Abraham into sleep or Abram into sleep. It That's just true. says that it fell on him. Yep. And then there was dark darkness and terror that fell on him. And now it was said to him, yep. hey, know that this is going to happen to your family. So we don't, we don't know for certain where this is all coming from. It can be inferred that aspects or all of that are coming from God, but there isn't anything in the text that explicitly states yeah, that. Yeah, because the primary reason for interpreting it as God's saying this is because of verse 14 where he says, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. Mm-hmm. So God, as the judge, we know that. Right. So that's that's where we get that primary push to say, oh, this is God talking to Abraham. Exactly, here. yeah. Right. It never says that God put this put the sleep upon him, but that's interpret or that's inferred because of Genesis two. Exactly, you have this this broader context that you have to pull from in order to be like, okay, what what where is the voice coming yeah. from? What's going on here? But since God dispels darkness in Genesis one, why would we assume that God put the terror and darkness over? Yeah, Abram, yeah, right? it's this weird weird mingle of things. Yeah, that you which have is to which is why through. we have this this uh, interpretation here. What we don't know exactly how accurate it is. This is just our understanding of the story so far and what's happening, that it was something else, not mm-hmm. God, that put this terror on him. Exactly. But God, God's showing up in the midst of it yep. and yep. saying, hey, things are not going to go well for your descendants. However, I have a, a an overriding purpose, even in spite of that, yep. for your people's benefit. Yep. I will judge the nation um, whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Which is what happened to Abram in Egypt. Yeah, but he doesn't know. God doesn't tell him that it's going to be Egypt that's going to oppress his his descendants. No, uh, I'm just saying that's that's an image that Abram would yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying it's interesting Egypt. because God is not going to reveal that to him. Yeah. He's not going to say, yeah, that place that you were just at, yeah, that's going to be an example for your kids. <laughs> right, right, exactly, yes. <laughs> um, and then he refocuses on Abram. It says, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Abram's life is not going to be a picnic, but, like, he's not going to be shamed at the end of his life. Yeah, you won't, you won't suffer the oppression that will be coming. Yeah. You'll be spared from that. Yeah. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So that's interesting. Yeah. So four generations either after the oppression or four generations into the oppression. We aren't given a specific on that. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're also given this 400 years number, which has caused a lot of speculation. Yeah, um, because people are like, well, it had to be 400 years, so that means either early Exodus or late Exodus. Yeah. And then some people take that with Solomon's dates and are like, oh, it was actually 480 years, and they just really rounded down. Yeah, I was going to say, 400 could simply be a a symbolic number here. Ten it generations. Exactly, exactly. So it doesn't six generations. exactly yeah, necessarily. Yeah. So six generations between Abram and the start of oppression, mm-hmm. and then four generations between the start of oppression and entering the land again. Right, right. We don't have a specific... I'm sure somebody's done it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but all we know now is that God knows the timeline. Mm-hmm. God understands, since he's outside of time, and we know that extra biblically, but since God is outside of time, he can tell Abram, hey, this is when this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is when this is going to happen, and it's going to happen. 
Right. Uh, it's just not going to be an easy road, right? Yes. The iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, this is a weird phrase. We, we, we haven't had anything up to this point that would indicate something's up specifically with the Amorites that yeah, would... Yeah, because the Amorites, like, aren't great, but that's where Abram's living. They're, they're letting him live on their land. Yeah. Right? He, he went to war with three brothers that are Amorites. Yeah, exactly. Um, not with like like they were on his side. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um yeah, with not with. <laughs> yeah, Mamre the Ammonite, the brother of Eshcol and brother of Anar. So these yeah. three Amorites that are letting him lease their property. Right? Cuz he doesn't own the property. He's just allowed to camp out there and use, use it for his herds and stuff. He's like God's like, "Yeah, they haven't they haven't filled their cup of iniquity yet." Yeah. So that that's got to be shocking. Right. Abram can't go tell them. Right, right. He can't, he can't go be like, yeah, you guys are, Jonah moment, yeah, you guys are going to burn. Right, exactly, yeah. It, it, it's very likely Abram doesn't even know what that's referring to. Yeah. It's just this vague thing of, okay, so the Amorites have some, some something, which is... Yeah, this is, um, all, this is all future which stuff. Is, which is a, a, a kind of guilt... Um, that's that's what that yeah, word. Yeah, because iniquity, um, iniquity iniquity will be understood. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, they're they're going to be guilty of something, and yeah, that's going to build to something else. Yeah, Abram has this understanding based on his experience in Egypt of quote unquote godless places, mm-hmm. right? No fear of the Lord, right? So he probably has a vague idea of what that could mean, but right. God doesn't need to go into specifics because that's not for Abram's time. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, but yeah. He's not that kind of prophet. Right, right. But it's it's because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete that the generations who will return there will do so at that time. Yeah. Yeah. But not now. So then uh, it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and this is a different word for dark, mm-hmm. alata. Mm-hmm. Which is thick darkness, so a, a a darkness that almost like you can feel it, right? Like you can't see your hand through two inches from your face, kind mm-hmm. of thing. It was very very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this darkness that came over Abram, it seems to almost be complete now, with the sun going away. There's like zero light, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, and it's taken up seemingly like the whole area. It's yeah. no longer just resting on. Yeah, him. and and that's that's kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the cross. Mm. This this darkness that encompasses all the earth, but mm-hmm. here it doesn't say that. It seems to be centralized on Abram, mm-hmm. right? Um, although naturally, it can kind of be explained away with, "Oh, the sun just set," right? right. But that doesn't make sense. There's stars. There were stars earlier. Exactly. How is it this dark? Yeah. Oh, it must be unnatural. Right. Right. Suddenly, a smoking oven and flaming torch appeared. They just showed up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, these two things broke into the darkness. There's a there's a two, fire two pot. sources of lights. Yeah, in the midst of this darkness, two lights. Yeah, there's a, there's a fire pot, a which is a a tanur, and a torch, a lapid. Um, yeah, so something for making substance, and something for destroying some substance. Are you associating the torch with? Yeah, destroying. Yeah, because that's not necessarily direct, right? But a torch as like a source of flame, whereas a cooking pot uh, is like 
you know, that's something that you put into to make something. Right, right. Uh, a torch isn't usually used to make something. Sure. Uh, it, it has a, not necessarily right now, but it, it definitely has an association with um, more of a, a violent fire. Um, not not so much like a like a wildfire, mm-hmm. but like this idea of if if you have somebody coming to your house with a torch, that that's not always going to look good. You'd have a lamp, not a torch. That's not the same word. Sure, sure. Um, so that that's just something that I'm that I'm thinking about. I'm not saying that's that's what this is here is representing. I just think that the the contrast is interesting. That there's uh, this almost like covered flame that's used in making food. And an open flame that's used could be for navigating, right? That's possible. But well, actually, maybe did they did they have lamps at this point in time? That's something I didn't think that, about. That's a good question. I'm sure they had something. Yeah, I know. I know there are some translations which do take the word, or what what this translates as oven as a lamp. Hmm. But I think I think the implication is more of a kiln from what commentaries i'm looking at right now yeah so just the contrast between a covered flame and an open flame that's that's kind of what i'm really driving towards there's two different lights Mm. and i don't know the significance between the covered flame and open flame i just just think that the the fact that they are very different objects sources of light are interesting yeah so what i'm I'm looking at right now in these different commentaries it almost seems that uh, the word for for furnace tanur is um the the this the Greek word uh-huh. used there, um, for the Septuagint translation, is the is the same word as Jesus uses in Matthew six thirty, where okay. he says, um, "If uh, that's how God closed the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, ooh, okay, will He not clothe you?" So so that almost seems to be more of a a tool of destruction. It's, sure, it's, it's a sure. kiln it's a kiln so it could be something for firing pottery. Um so maybe the the idea of grass being thrown in there is simply to refer to the thing which fuels that flame. Sure. Um but yeah. Let's see. Um verse 17. Yeah, I'm looking through these different commentaries just kind of browsing real quick because I've I've never heard anybody dig into what exactly the torch and the furnace are about. I've heard plenty mm. of people be like, this is God walking through. And it's like, okay, cool. But but how do you get that? Yeah, so um, I'm looking at my uh, Hebrew commentary here on this. It doesn't say anything. There's no note about it. It just... Is so um, as stated above, division started when the sun began to set. Right, we know that it was when the sun had set, and there was an extreme darkness. And behold, there was an appearance of a smoking furnace. So it, that is uh, these Jewish teachers associate that with a thick cloud of smoke, which may have contributed to the darkness, mm. like the smoke that emerges from a furnace and a flaming torch that passed between those pieces. Yeah, right. And so obviously they make the same connection that we do in our Christian commentaries, which is that the smoking mm-hmm. furnace and uh, smoking torch represent the divine presence passing between the pieces. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but what's interesting is that they almost seem to correlate the thick darkness and the smoke with God concealing something for yeah, Abram instead yeah. of instead of it being something other than God and God's light passing in the midst of this darkness. Right, right. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. I also want to note here, uh, I caught Matthew Poole's commentary, which actually seems to flesh these ideas out a little bit. So it seems like um, the the symbol of the furnace could possibly represent Israel's misery in the iron furnace of Egypt, as it is called in Jeremiah eleven fourteen. Mm. Because where, he just talked about the oppression of his descendants. Exactly, where God says, let me find the um, NASB translation here. Yeah. Um, in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace. Mm. Um, yeah, because it, so, it, it clarifies or qualifies here in verse 17 that it's a smoking oven, so there's something in it. Yeah. Right? It's not just fire. There's something that's burning or whatever. Exactly. And the torch seems to be... Um, the thing which then is is set on analogy with the uh, pillar of fire, which which leads them out. Ooh, okay. okay. So so, so it, this is so the yeah. the that's also uh, associated with like the burning bush. Yeah. God's presence shows up as fire, and the writer of Hebrews later goes on to describe God as a consuming fire. Yeah. So God's um, carrying the leading light, and He's carrying the misery miserable people out yeah, through the yeah. river of life into this covenant exactly so this is almost then an image of israel crossing through the sea out of egypt yeah. and that will be the sign to abram that he asked for back yeah. when he said okay so how will i know that you're going to do this and and before anybody says anything the blood does not represent the red sea it's the yeah. sea of reeds yes i like <laughs> Red doesn't actually come from anything, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, so we can we can dig into yeah, that before anybody says anything. Later. It's not yes. that the the river of, of blood here in the covenant is yeah the because red sea. it's red and they that's not the that's not sea. how that works. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, it, it does seem that there's there's a way in which this could be representative of that and the smoke as well. Yeah, yeah. Being God's presence is something that we'll see later. God also. Not only does he appear as a pillar of fire, he ap appears as a pillar of cloud and then just smoke more broadly. That is mm -hmm. a unique kind of glorious presence. He dark clouds exactly. above the mountain. Yeah, and when he rests on the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. um, the pillar of smoke that represents his presence, um, and that's the, the smoke presence that Moses goes into on several occasions. Exactly. So, so if... If the smoke is associated with this darkness, then this would be um, an example of God's presence, um, bo both in the concealing sense, but also in, in kind of the covering sense. Mm -hmm. God said at the beginning of this chapter, I am a shield for you. Yeah. And now he is shielding Abram from whatever was trying to get to him, maybe through the vultures, maybe through the, the terror. Yeah. And God is like, no, I'm here. This is the sign that's going to be for you. Yeah, and Abraham still see, or Abram still at this point yeah. still seems to be asleep. Maybe, but like maybe he just woke up and saw this happen. We we aren't sure. Yeah, it's it's, it's very it's very spiritual, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen in the physical world. Right. It's very possible that all of this is when when at the beginning of the chapter it says the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Everything yeah. following was part of that vision, and the deep sleep and darkness were an experience expression of the fact that that's what was happening to him. Yeah, because um, like Ezekiel travels uh, across landmarks and visits architecture 
mm-hmm. in a vision. He yeah, didn't he literally travel state. there, right? Right, yeah, so no, it, that it, whole time he we, was still by the Kibar Canal somehow. So there is precedence for this, yeah. but I feel like it's trying to separate the connection between the physical and spiritual world. Yes, exactly, yeah. I think that this is definitely something that happened in both at the same time. Yeah, no, I think personally. that... I, I, I think I'm with you on that front. I just wanted to bring that up as yeah, this yeah. is a, an interpretation that has been taken. Yeah, um, I would need to correct. We could be correct. dig we don't know. into those materials to uh, flesh that idea out further, but I, I am aware of a, sure. a strictly spiritual interpretation of how these things occurred. Sure, and... That that is possible. I'm not saying that that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I, it just it just seems like that that they're trying to find a reason to keep the physical and spiritual worlds from coming together at the same time. Yeah, which which is understandable considering the in in the Jewish conception of things, they are separate for for various reasons mm-hmm. and and obviously the crossing over is a marker of very significant things occurring mm-hmm. for example again what i brought up earlier when angels show up the first thing they say is hey don't be afraid because the spirit realm entering in a recognizable yeah, sense into the physical reality. realm <laughs> yeah exactly that's terrifying that's yeah. not normal yeah. um but yeah i i i do agree that i i think there is a a spiritual component to everything that's happening physically, yeah, and these veil, two things coincide. Yeah, when that veil is cut open, mm-hmm. it, it's a very overwhelming experience. Yeah, exactly, which may also have been part of the terror that Abram was experiencing. Simply the the overwhelming sense of like, oh my goodness, something really big is happening in the spirit realm right now. And it, and it's outside of my my realm of comprehension. Well, and it's possible that when he performed the uh, rites, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. by cutting the animals, he crossed through the veil, and that's when the darkness overtook him. Mm. Right. Um, just just throwing something out there because yeah. I haven't had a personal experience with the spirit realm, but that this we have this we have this understanding that it's entirely other right right than what we know and yeah. we can experience bits of it in the spirit um or through the spirit but until you actually walk in the spirit it's it's foreign yeah yeah to well, our human bodies yeah no absolutely and i i think that's the the result of everything that goes back to genesis 3 mm-hmm. and and the necessary division between yep yep the corruption of the physical and the incorruptible spiritual. Yeah, that Eden was was entirely veiled mm-hmm. after that. Yeah, uh, exactly. not not like not like they couldn't see it. Right, they couldn't enter it. Yeah, exactly. like there was the spiritual veil over it. Yeah, and then it was taken away in the decreation mm-hmm. flood. Yeah. So on that day. Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. That's just a qualifier. They all knew what the great river was. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Kenite and the Kenazite and the Kadmonite and the Hittite and Perizzite and the Rephaim and Amorite and Canaanite and Girgashite and Jebusite. Yeah. Okay, so I know the Kenite and Kenazite. Did we hear about the Kadmonite? 
That before. is a good question. Uh, Nineteen. I don't. I don't know that we touched on the Cadmonite or the did so we, some, or some the Gergesite. No, Gergesites and Jebusites. We didn't talk about. Yeah, we, well, we briefly touched on the Jebusites because those are the people who are currently in Salem. Yeah, which but that, that term had. Oh wait, no, it is. It did. No, wait, okay. Uh, Genesis ten, Jebusite, Amorite, Gergesite. So the okay. Gergesites were there as well as the Jebusites, so that's fine. Okay, yeah. So I, I okay, I thought that we touched on Jebusites because uh, I remember associating them with. Oh, the Hebrew word is kadmoni. For the the, Cadmonites. Um, uh, yeah, this is the only place where that word is mentioned in the in the Tanakh. Apparently, it means Easterners. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 from Kedem. So, so, so these are just people in the east. Yeah, this 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 must have been part of some other tribe, and they were just nomads that traveled east. Mm-hmm. These are just people that lived in the east, probably towards closer to the Euphrates. Yeah. So so your so your territory is going to encompass where all of these different people groups are. Yeah. That like basically. So now, in spiritual authority, at the very least. Abram and his family have claim from the Nile to the Euphrates, mm-hmm. that entire stretch of land, mm-hmm. the entire of the Mideast. Yep, yep. Is, is by rights Abram's. Because now, people God aren't going to let him have it. Yeah, right. People aren't going to let him have it yet. Yes. But as far as his spiritual claim goes, Abram yeah. can tell these rebellious spirits, no, this is my land, and they have no rebuttal to that. Exactly. And so this is this is uh an offshoot of Noah's um of Noah's curse and blessing. Yep. Where where all of this is going to be Shem's tent as it were. Yeah, can- and the Canaanite yeah. who lives in the land will be under that tent. Yep. Whether by force or by submission. And this and this gives or sorry, subjugation or submission. And, and through this partnership, since God had handed these people over to other spirits, now, because of his covenant with Abram, God has taken back legal authority over the land. Mm. So now he has the authority, he already did, but like just we're talking in a, in a court setting. Yeah. Now yeah. God has the authority to render judgment over these peoples because the land has been spiritually reclaimed. Right, right. Yeah. This is all in, in accordance with the with the spiritual governmental system that God himself set up. Yeah. He's he intentionally abides by his own rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Yeah, he would so, not be a good judge if he broke his yeah, own rules. Because he has walked through the river of life in this land in covenant with Abram, even though Abram didn't walk through it. That, right. That, that was part of it. Yeah, God walks through it on Abram's behalf. Yeah. So so the the covenant is entirely upheld by God's faithfulness to it, not Abram's. And now he has the spiritual legal authority to render judgment on these peoples once their cups of iniquity have been filled, mm-hmm. which will be fulfilled later. Yes. So he's taking the steps in the spiritual court to reclaim what was broken at Babel. Yes, yes. All right. So so to to kind of summarize all of that, because it's very easy to get lost in the weeds of this chapter with everything that's going on, and we did a lot of verbal processing to try to understand what's happening here. Mm -hmm. The, The overview is that God came bodily to Abram, 
to talk to him. He came. Yeah, and this isn't a Christophany kind of right, deal. No. This isn't this isn't God as a human. Exactly. This it's is God looking like. Yeah, this is like back in the garden where mm-hmm. God would have walked with Adam, right? Mm-hmm. He's showing up right. literally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He 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 is in a form that can be engaged with on a personal level. Yeah. Um, but he has not he has not taken on flesh and blood. He is not a human. Exactly. Um, but he, he shows up to Abram. He says, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to cover you so you don't need to be afraid of anything that else that happens. Abram recognizes him because he knows his voice. Mm, yes. Because he he never yes. seen him before. True. So True. Abram knows that this is Yahweh because he knows Yahweh's voice. Right. Absolutely. And, um, this, he, and, and Yahweh only appeared to him after he received the blessing of Melchizedek. Yes. yes. So it's possible that Melchizedek had a closer relationship with Yahweh, not necessarily this far, right? But similar to this. Well, it, it, it's indicative of Melchizedek acting as a priest, yeah, as the, the one mediator that's supposed to be between, between humanity yeah. and the spirit. Yeah. Sorry, I just got that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. That's good. Um. So in appearing to Abram and, and making this declaration, he invites Abram into conversation. They have this discussion. Okay, so you have this plan for me. It involves my descendants. It involves the land. How? Mm-hmm. And how can I know? Yep. And he acknowledges his belief in God, but he's also wanting clarity as to what the process is going to yeah, look like. Yeah, yeah. They're working out the details of the contract, and yep. then they're going to actually sign it, right? And it's not like Abram's... He's, Abram's not bargaining with God. No. Not, not right now. Um, th- this is this is all about. Hey, we have an agreement. What are the terms? Yeah, exactly. Well, and even in the famous bargaining scene, he doesn't really bargain. No, but that, that's, that's why that's why I'm saying like, well, he's not doing anything right now. This yeah, this is no. actually just a conversation yeah, of like, hey, discourse. can we? Yeah, Abram's like, I want to understand what what it is that we're doing here. Yeah, and so and so God says, okay, let me show you. Here's going to be the sign that your descendants are going to be even more vast than my own offspring. And that, that that's not a cop-out either. God's not like, oh, well, your descendants will see. No, like, that's that's part of just how it was. Like, yeah. God God is guaranteeing a legacy. Exactly. For Abram and his descendants. Yeah. So, so here's how you'll know. And they they enter into a covenant by way of a physical ritual, mm-hmm. which demonstrates the significance of the covenant. Yeah, because I blood will, in the physical has heavy significance in the spirits. Yeah, I will be like these animals. I will be cleaved open and my life force will be spilled out if I don't uphold my end of the bargain. Yeah. Abram ends up entering into this spiritual um into this spiritual uh mm, What's what's a good a good term for that? He he is a, a, a spiritual awareness. Yeah, in this physical place, um, which allows him to see God walking through the um the blood, both as a an indication of what the sign will be, a sign that unfortunately Abram's never going to live to see, mm-hmm. but. He at least has a sign established. Yep. And as a as a covenant partner 
entering into the covenant through the ritual on behalf of the one who will not be able to uphold his end of the bargain. Yep, he's carrying both his and Abram's parts. Exactly. And this is, again, an example of the, since God had no one higher to swear by, he swore by himself. Mm -hmm. He's taking full responsibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because only he can do it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And so then... That that establishes the covenant. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I emphasized it that way, yeah. but like that that is the establishing of the covenant. Exactly, and was that God is... walking through this river of life for Himself and for Abram. Exactly, and that contract is signed with. Now you know what's going to happen, and your land will be all of this. Yeah. So that was a lot. Yeah. Do you need clarification on anything? Do you got questions? Okay, cool. Uh, did our conversation about that breaking between the physical and spiritual worlds, like them coming together, made, made sense? Cool. I know that we were talking big for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of this was us trying to wrestle through in real time what's going on here, because these yeah. are this is a familiar passage to us. But this is the first time in the Bible that we've seen a crossing into the spirit realm. Exactly, exactly. And so there's a lot of, of effort on our part to try to unpack, okay, what exactly is going on here? Yeah. What have people said about this in the past? What what can we glean from what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the, the hard thing with spiritual matters is they're often not clear because they exist in a a setting which is outside of the comprehension of, of physical beings. And it makes us more comfortable to just and so, to just have a whole teaching on, okay, let's try and figure out what the birds of prey actually were. Right. Instead of, hey, so what happened? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to talk about what happened because that's weird and, and it's uncomfortable. So let's just figure out what the bird is. Right. <laughs> that's not what we want to do. Exactly. So, okay. Uh... Okay, setting. Um, probably back at his place by the Oaks of Memory. Mm-hmm. He's probably back in his in his temporary settlement because yeah. he was in like his tent past. at one point, and then God took him outside. Yeah, we 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 assume so it's his tent. It's, yeah, um, but he's he's probably back home. Quote mm-hmm. unquote. Uh, there aren't any new characters. It's just just God and Abram mm-hmm. that that show yeah. up at least. Yeah. Well, we get we get mention of Eliezer. Well, that's true. That's who, true. We we didn't have a name for up to this point. Yeah, but, just his servant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the only active participants in this are are Yahweh and Abram. Yeah, and some descendants of Abram somehow, somewhere. Yeah. At some yeah. point in time. Yes, promise for them. There's a lot of characters. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um in terms of uh, well, so significant the words. Oh, oh, themes. Yeah, well, like covenant is obviously the biggest one, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we touched on faith and how it wasn't just a blind. That must be true then. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's true because the Bible tells me so. It's like, okay, that's that's a nice that's, song, but that's not going to fix the problem. Exactly. That's good, but that's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there's there's a degree to which childlike. Um, 
just acceptance, acceptance. Of, of, of what God and his word say. Yeah. That's healthy. But, but, but that is not sustainable in a, in a world which is constantly warring against that. Yeah, which is why, you know, a lot of high school and college kids just walk away because they think that that's all they need is mm-hmm. to just believe hard enough. Yeah, and then when anybody presents something which is which which appears more intelligent than yeah. I believe no, because God, Jesus said it. Yeah, God provided evidence through his relationship with Abram. He built mm-hmm. this trust. Mm-hmm. So Abram's like, "Okay, I know because I've seen and experienced that you have my best interest in mind that you're going to actually make good on what you're talking about." Mm-hmm. That's where his faith came from. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, "Well, I mean, this light guy showed up and I was like, yeah, he's good. Uh, I guess I believe him. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so, um, and uh, just this, this idea of of humans crossing into the spirit realm and spirits crossing into the human realm. Yeah. Right? Because God crossed into the human realm to talk to Abram and prefaced everything by saying, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. And then Abram seems to have crossed into the spirit realm and experienced terror, and then more understanding, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's it doesn't happen super often in the Bible, but right. when it does, it's it's very dense. Yes, yes, absolutely, right? Yep. So uh, I don't know about any other themes. Yeah, no, I think I think the the spiritual interaction and the theme of covenant are are the two big ones in this chapter. Um, I think uh, that the the call out of the discussion of faith is also useful to all of this because it is a very um, a very important piece of the puzzle for understanding why Abram believed in the first place. Yeah, and this and um, this really sets the precedent for what faith looks like later on mm-hmm. for people that are grafted into the family for Christians, right? Exactly. People that accept Christ because Abram believed mm-hmm. and then God asked of him something and then because of his faith Abram acted on it. Right. His right. faith produced the works of initiating this covenant ceremony. Yes, exactly. It wasn't just that Abram believed in God was like, great, I'm going to tell you everything now. Right. No, he still had to enter the covenant. He still had to work with God. Yes. But it wasn't his works that made him righteous. It was his faith and belief in Yahweh that God counted it to him as righteous. Exactly. The way that you just laid all of that out is Romans. Yep. Which is why I'm saying right now, like this sets the precedent. This is yes. this is where Paul gets it. Yes. Abram is the example of a faithful human. Yes. Somebody that was accepted based on faith and not by works, but his faith produced the works that, you know, proved to the world of his faith. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So James and Paul are both right. Mm-hmm. Don't start with me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so then uh, when it comes to significant words... Um, I think that, uh, Mahaze, um, is important since it's kind of the, the thing which sets the precedent for everything that happens here. It's the, that, that first interaction with the spirit realm from the physical side, mm-hmm. the, the beholding of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just realized we didn't talk about star. Oh, uh, oh. Kokab. Yeah, yeah. It's the same word. 
that was used in Genesis 1. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. I just went to go look. Um, but this is the first time we've seen it since Genesis 1. Yeah. But just those those lights up there, mm-hmm. do those, you think, those luminaries. Do you think that's significant to the uh, this chapter or...? I mean, kind of, because because it, 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 it um, solidifies that connection between the populace of the heavens versus mm. the populace of the earth, right? Sure, sure. So that reflection of the populace of the heaven is going to be... That reflection is the populace on earth of Abram's family, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, yeah. Because they are the inhabitants of the of the heavens. They're not just because the birds don't inhabit the heavens. They just kind of move in there. They inhabit the earth. Right, right. That Absolutely. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but then I, the, the, what made me think of that was going back to Genesis. There's two new or Genesis one. There's two new words for darkness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what was the one in Genesis one? I can't even remember anymore. Um, Good question. Uh, let me let me go back because I think light starts with an O. Uh, darkness in Genesis one is choshek. Choshek. Okay, so that's similar to what yeah. we get. It 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 comes from chashak, mm. so it's 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 rooted in the the same um yeah because then here in um uh verse twelve yeah. we get chashek yeah. So the chasheka and the um and the chashak or sorry and and the choshek are both rooted in chashak. Yeah. So they're they're derivative of the same thing, but they're they're not exact. Yeah. Chashak is like the neutral, just dark root. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just lack of light. But then we get the thick darkness, mm-hmm. uh, the alata, thick darkness. Um, the next time, it, the only other time that it, this specific word alata is used is in Ezekiel, in chapter twelve, and it's used three times in that uh, chapter. Hmm. What's the what's the context for that? So, uh, the word of the Lord comes to him, son of man, you live in the midst of the rebellious house. You have eyes to see, but do not see; ears to hear, but do not hear. For they are rebellious. They are a rebellious house. Okay, load the baggage on your shoulder in their sight and carry it out in the dark. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the land, for I have set you as a sign to the house of Israel. And verse 7, I did so as I was commanded. By day I brought out my baggage like the baggage of an exile. Then in the evening I dug through the wall with my hands. I went out in the dark and carried the baggage on my shoulder in their sight. Um, so that has more of an attachment to darkness in the physical realm being nighttime. Mm-hmm. But it was, it, was a, it was a symbolic act. And then verse 12, the prince who is among them will load his baggage on his shoulders in the dark and go out. So just this idea of having to carry your burdens in this thick darkness, just from a glance. Is, is Ezekiel 12. Yeah. So a preparation for exile, mm-hmm. right? So carrying your baggage out in the dark, which right. is a, it's both physical and spiritual darkness. Right, right. It's, it's both, hey, the sun's not up. But and in, yeah. God's light is not present here. Yeah, it's not on his people at the yeah. moment. His countenance is turned away. Yeah. Um, so I guess this alata, this this thick darkness, really is connected to spiritual darkness. Hmm. Interesting. 
But, yeah. but according to the Jewish commentary, it could also be associated with just kind of the the veiling from well, it, outside it, light. It, well, in, in this instance, it seems that they're connecting that darkness to the smoke coming from the pot. Right, right. It's, it's, not, it's not directly correlated with smoke generally, like right. the word itself, but it seems like the, this commentary, um, what's it? Uh, the Steinsaltz Humash. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not that the darkness is caused by the smoke. It's mm-hmm. just drawing a connection between the smoke pouring out of the oven and the thickness that is, it, that is this darkness. Mm. So. Interesting. All right. Um, but yeah, so we have we have uh, Mahaze vision. We have uh, Kobab star. Um, we have Hashika, um, uh, which is darkness, and Alata, which is thick darkness. Yeah. No. Every everything else is going to be repeats of previous stuff. The the fact that God is making a berit here is. Something which was established back with with Noah. A what? A a covenant, a berit. Gotcha. Well, thank you for joining us on this journey into such a dense chapter and our uh, our individual and collaborative thought process as we tried to parse through all of it. (laughs) Yeah, next time it'll Um, be a lot easier. It's just a broken marriage, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um... Hopefully, you were able to get something out of it. If uh, the way that everything was laid out was unclear and you have questions or clarification, our email is in the show notes. You could also email us with uh, any pushback to anything that was said, um, any additional comments to what was said that you um, that you have that you found interesting, uh, insights that you may have that would help us to better understand um, getting in all engagement, the email's available for that. Um, and uh, next time, we are, as Josh said, going to be tackling a, a broken marriage. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, Abram and Sarai trying to do things on their own terms and how that affects Hagar specifically. Um, so... We look forward to you joining us for that as we continue to read the Bible with fresh eyes to understand God for who he is on his terms. Grace and peace.